So, Joe, we've never done this before for an episode. A real. <laughs> As you look at me going, you're I'm right. I'm waiting for you to tell me what what it is. <laughs> um, kind of a history lesson. Yeah. On a topic that um, none of us have really been um, alive long enough to be a part of. Um, we talked to Chris Kristoff, a former reporter of the Detroit Free Press, and John Lindstrom of Gong War News Service about the life and career of Hugh McDermott Sr., a uh, legendary uh, columnist for the Detroit Free Press who passed away recently. Um, also, yeah, it was good. I uh, I didn't know either of those guys, and I'd never heard of Hugh McDermott, but it was still real. I could have listened to him talk for another 30 minutes about him because he was a cool guy. Well, and it was clear after we got done, they they had stories to go yeah. for, for hours. So, yeah, we talked to John and we talked to Chris. Uh, we had Brian, and, Brian Western and Pete Mowry's latest song on the podcast and Joe's Christmas card. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Have you prepared what you're going to say for the, the intro, since you're part of the intro now? Well, we're doing a new oh. intro? Yes, we have to do an intro. Your Are face. you prepared? Why? God, no, I'm not. <laughs> no? Aww. Season three, you got to be in it. That's probably what it was, so you already did it. It's already done. Control <laughs> <laughs> over. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his It's, on it's his always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, There's like nothing disgusting. One part What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Say that! <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, this is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies, and you're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, Rest Strategies is a public affairs and a public relations firm headquartered in downtown Lansing, Michigan. Uh, you can find us at reststrategies.com. Uh, we're always on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well, at Rest Strategies. And, of course, uh, for faithful p- followers of the podcast, we do have a Twitter account uh, for the podcast, Cold Oatmeal Pod. Uh, you can check us out there. We still, we're season, uh, we're season three, episode 44 Nikki's not with us this morning. She's usually the keeper of the polls and that that podca- uh, that Twitter account, but we don't know who runs it. Um, so, and since she's not here to help us figure it out, we'll we'll just have to power through. Um, but yeah, you can kind of, you can check that out on on Twitter at Cold Oatmeal Pod. Um, so I mentioned Nikki is not with us, but we do have uh, the rest of the the team. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. Start with Laura Beal. Laura Beal. Thank you. <laughs> Stephanie Van Covering. Nick Delu. Joe Bashi. So we are, I think it's fair to say, guys, we are, are we fully recovered from the, the tornado that was Gene Doss, who uh, sat in the studio last couple good, weeks ago? That was a good one. That was, was a good, good one. one. I don't know if Nick's recovered. That was... <laughs> I'm okay. My sensibilities are slightly shaken. I've gotten a lot of feedback about a lot of episodes. I'm not sure I've gotten feedback like the feedback I got for the Gene Doss episode. Yeah. It was quite... Well, we, we haven't had content on an episode quite like we had on the June Doss episode. <laughs> yes, content and, and character. Yes, it was quite a quite a combo. Uh, yeah, but Gene, thank you for taking the time. It's always fun to have. We had our first lobbyist. Um, Gene Doss was our first lobbyist on the podcast last time. 
So uh, today we have um, two guests with us, uh, two gentlemen who um, I think, and I, I'm quite confident, will be able to shed some interesting light, some stories on the life of a man who I never met, um, but um, read about recently, who can see passed, Hugh McDermott, um, senior, a columnist for the Detroit Free Press, passed away in mid-October. Uh, after a very, very long uh, career uh, in political journalism, both as a reporter and a columnist. Um, you know, in, in Hugh's working life, uh, he, like I said, was a free press columnist and reporter. But I, it struck me that in reading some obituaries of, of Hugh, words like legendary, the greatest, uh, and icon were used to describe uh, his work. And so two of Two of the gentlemen who helped write or, or did write those obituaries for uh, Hugh are with us. Uh, John Lindstrom. How are you? Uh, good morning. John is the uh, reporter, editor, and publisher of Gong or News Service here in downtown. He's been doing that for 37 years, and we should start by maybe offering our congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Recently announced his retirement, so we'll be stepping aside at the end of the year. So we appreciate you. Fitness in before you, you headed off to the beach, to warm so. beaches somewhere. And then Chris Kristoff is also with us. Chris uh, spent 25 years as the Lansing Bureau Chief of the Detroit Free Press. Uh, he also worked uh, at Bloomberg News uh, for a few years and now uh, does some time with a Lansing PR firm, uh, Lazat Miller. Chris, thanks for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for asking. And you know, I should say, I tried to get you on during our <coughs> for a very exciting Halloween episode yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, for, for, the, for those who know Chris, he is a an artist when it comes to pumpkin carving and for years has always graced the Lansing political scene with, with the, with pumpkin carves with usually candidates for governor or candidates for president or, or other folks. So, well, this year it was strictly for the grandkids. We had Spider-Man and Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> and Probably we the were most in popular. Chicago this year with visiting them, so so we gave a taste of that to uh, to Chicago. Well, maybe well, they next... had three inches of snow on Halloween. By oh, the way, wow. maybe maybe next Halloween we'll be, we'll right. be in the throes of whatever the whatever the 2020 election cycle will be. You will come out of pumpkin political pumpkin carving uh, retirement and share those with us again. So, I want to thank you both for being with us. Um, Again, I, I, we talked before we started we started here that I was, and the reason I wanted to have this conversation was because I didn't really pay any attention to Hugh McDermott when he was a political columnist. It was He was nearing the end of his career as I was starting the beginning of mine. I never really interacted with him when I was in Governor Engler's communications office. Um, I think if, if he ever called, that was above my pay grade to take that call, so that was a, a John Truscott call for sure. Um but as I started to read, John, your obituary and, and the, the one that Chris and your colleague Dawson Bell did for the Free Press, it became clear to me that there was a story here about a journalist in Michigan that needed to be told to probably people like me who, who hadn't heard and didn't follow and maybe didn't mm -hmm. know. So I guess, can we start off? Um, he retired in 2001. So for someone like me who has maybe never heard of or never read one of Hugh's columns, uh, what should they know? about Hugh McDermott. He was the last of what was at one time fairly common, uh, you know, political reporters, political columnists, not just in this state, but in virtually every state back when people actually paid attention to news um, and, and saw news not just as information, but to a certain degree entertainment. And 
you know, you, you think about people like Guy Jenkins and Bill Culsey, who uh, were similar. They worked for uh, Booth newspapers at the time. Um, Hugh was really the sort of the last, in many respects, he, uh, better than they were. I mean, he 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 could be very blunt. Uh, well, he was very blunt. Uh, he, he he was very direct. Um, he he took no prisoners, but he wasn't mean spirited about it either. I mean, uh, Chris can tell you some stories about you know folks that that he regularly pilloried, and yet he was always worried about their welfare as well. And so. Um, but he, you know, he he was very direct. He he, you know, did made no bones uh, about where he stood and what he was going to say about people. Well, he wrote three times a week, which nowadays will be unheard of. And even at the time, we I used to marvel at how you had to come up with with new, fresh material three times a week uh, th- that contained fact and opinion. And uh, uh, I mean, he was was. Even when you work with him, he was he was a force of nature. <laughs> I mean, he was a he was a fantastic reporter. First of all, you know, we tend to think of columnists as, as folks that sit around and gaze at the ceiling and come up with <laughs> ideas and thoughts and you know and big thoughts of their own. But he was a reporter first, and and in in a columnist uh, in columnist clothes, and he covered the gamut uh, in in politics. He. Uh, he had, he had a, an, a, an acute sense of sarcasm, of humor, of of outrage. I mean, that you could point to three things that were on you know uppermost in his uh, on his target list. First of all, the gun lobby mm-hmm. <laughs> sparred with him all the time. He was a staunch environmentalist uh, and ethics in government. Those mm-hmm. were three things that that occupied a lot of his time but but when he'd go after issues uh, he would he, you would be thoroughly informed about what the issue was uh, you know wrapped in a, in as I said a lot of uh, um, humor uh, sarcasm um, skewering people who deserved it and uh, uh, and you, you came away better informed about about the topic did he have a process? You mentioned three times a week is prolific. Did he have a specific process that you observed that allowed him to produce that much content? Well, I I, I don't know if I'd call it a process. I mean, Hugh had uh, about the best work ethic of any journalist I, that I ever worked with or ever saw. Uh, he was old school in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, he was uh, he was well read. Uh, he was he was a, a serious guy. But he was outrageously funny, and and I mean, working with him was—you uh, never know what what the next outburst would be mm-hmm. <laughs> on a topic, uh, what profanity would be would be you know <laughs> screaming from the next room on the phone with somebody that he was that he was interviewing with, and uh, uh, he was he was tended to be very loud and boisterous, um, and and funny. Uh, and and it, it was it was a, he was part of a, an era gone past, when when newspapers were still really a dominant source of uh, of, of information, and public opinion shaping. I mean, they still are to some degree, but you know, the, the, this was this was before social media mm-hmm. uh, that that dominates so much of seems like it dominates so much of public discourse now. Uh, but one of the that was one was pointed out to me that one of the advantages that Hugh had, or people you know columnists of, of that time who would uh, who would pick on somebody, and 
that the the the, uh, the target, if you will, <laughs> knew that something was coming in Hughes' column the next day. But you had to sweat for 18 hours because you weren't going to read it on the internet or on your smartphone. You had to wait for the newspaper to come right. out. <laughs> so uh, so they would sit and sweat for a while to, to see what Hugh had to say about them. So John, but I wanna... by, by the way, he in, in the one thing about uh, you know, talk about process. Anything you learned from Hugh was 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 the fairness that he that he uh, that he showed toward toward people. Um, yeah, he would he would go after people, but it, it, it was always fair. It was never nasty or mean spirited. As someone said, he had a lot of critics, but he didn't have any enemies. Well, he had a few, but uh, but he could take them on pretty well himself. <laughs> John, I wanted to ask, is this the only um, obituary of a journalist that led an issue of Gongwer? Uh, as far as I know, yes. Uh, and frankly, it surprised me we ran out of the lead. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, there have been a lot of other reporters I've written obits on that, that were good reporters, but... What was that conversation? Was there a conversation you and Zach and others had about sh- should this lead this issue? Is this no? I mean, I've just sort of over the course of my life, maybe because I've, I've had a, a more historical perspective than than people do today. Um, I've tended to write obituaries, and um, and so when Hugh died, uh, it was pretty clear I was going to write the obit. I wrote it, and Zach is our editor, and you know, uh, uh, I mean, I can I can discuss with him what should go lead, but normally I trust his judgment on it, and so uh, he put it as lead. That surprised me. I figured it would be up high, um, but uh, but he was he was uh, you know, Zach worked. Um, Zach went to the Free Press after Hugh had retired, but he was here for the last part of when Hugh was, was working. And then he was down in Detroit. I mean, when, when I left Gongwer and went to Crane's Detroit Business, Hugh and I were actually neighbors in Huntington Woods. And so he would walk the dog by every now and then and, and, and we'd talk. But, uh, uh, but you know, I was, I was really the last, me and Skubik are the last people to, to have worked with him on a regular basis. Uh, Hugh, in fact, was uh, I think there's only been one or two people that that have taken over uh, hosting off the record when Skubik had something come up and and he was one of them. His uh, Tim's father was not doing well and the show had to be gone, so he just turned around and and had Hugh do it. And and I remember Hugh opened the show and said, "I'm filling in for Tim. Tim is doing well." And I thought, "Yeah, his dad's not, but uh, you know, Tim's okay." So. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, he was. He was just. Uh, he was a great guy to work with. Uh, he was a, a character in every every sense of the word. And you think about some of the people that went through the Free Press Bureau um, while he was there. I mean, uh, one of the guys. He wasn't there very long. But there was a guy named Gene Weingarten who is now at the Washington Post. He's won two Pulitzer prizes. Um, but he was in the he was in the bureau and and his hobby was fixing clocks so he had all these clocks in his office and and he would sort of say he's a great reporter but i don't know what the hell he's doing with all those clocks <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to, i wanted to ask you i wanted to read a couple sentences sentences from your obituary in gongwer and I have a couple questions about him you, uh, you wrote mr mcdermott represented one of the last examples of when people bought and read newspapers at a time when people were more concerned about facts than they were about party or ideological spin often just for the individuals writing in the papers. Mr. McDermott 
had an audience across the state, not just of top political, I'm sorry, not just of state politicians and government officials, but of regular folks. So I wanted to ask, Mm -hmm. what about him and what he wrote allowed him to build that audience of regular folks? Well, he he had a, a great common sense. He had a great common touch. I mean, you know, he didn't talk much about himself, so you, you found out sort of by surprise that he, he went to uh, 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 one of the Ivy League schools. What, what, Princeton. 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 He went to oh, Princeton. Yeah. Princeton. You know, and you found out later on he played football at Princeton. You found out later on that he, he played football with the former Secretary of Defense. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Donald, Donald Rummy. Who he referred to as Rummy. Rummy. Right. Also <laughs> Rummy. And and you know you'd find out later on that he that he flew for the Navy um, and uh, you know not only flew for the Navy but sat in on a couple of courts of inquiry and other officers and stuff like he didn't talk about himself much but he just had a, a an innate ability to connect with people and um, and just would I mean people come up to him in the street and talk about you know they liked his column and did you know about this and as Chris said he was a reporter first I mean that was that was always his goal he was always looking for a story. And and uh, and people knew they could come to him, and if he couldn't do the story, he'd find somebody who would. And that was one of the um, one of the main things about Hugh. Uh, plus the fact that you know he uh, he dressed like a bum, uh, you know, which was <laughs> I mean he, he had he had a bizarre wardrobe. He used to wear the sweater that uh, it was sort of a golden color, and and you know. You look at it in the front, and you can say, "Well, okay, it, it's old and it needs some fixing up." And it had sleeves and a front and a neck. There was literally no back to the damn thing. I mean, it was. I, I read that, the, and I was, was trying to. Wait, f- there was a waistband, and there were there were some threads of yarn. That <laughs> I was trying it, to picture what you, when you wrote that. I was yes. trying to picture and what I mean, on earth that looked like. He always wore a jacket over it, but you know, he'd be sitting there back in the days. We had typewriters, and and behind the house where everyone worked. And he pulled his jacket off, and then he'd go running around the Capitol with this thing. And all I could think about was, God, what does his wife think? I mean, doesn't she? <laughs> so it's more like an apron. <laughs> it, that's what it sounds like. It, a it, vest. It, 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 it was sort of a weird-looking vest thing. But, I mean, you know, because the first time he wore it, he came up to me on the House floor, and he, and he, would, he wouldn't say hi or anything. Like, he'd just come up to you, and he'd say, Did you hear about that? And that guy an asshole? And then he'd turn around and he'd walk away. So he did that. He said, didn't that guy an asshole? And he turned around and he walked away and he said, where the hell's the back to his sweater? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was very good at sharing information. He wasn't jealous with, with, uh, with information, uh, at, at least working with him in the Bureau. It, everything was a shared experience. And he, he was very helpful to me. I, mean, I, mean, I really did see Hugh as a, as a mentor. I learned a lot from him. Um, but you just never knew. You just never knew what what he would do. And one of one of the things he used to do, and John pointed this out in in his uh, in his obituary. But I, I witnessed this many times. Is he would he he was fond of looking out the window. We were on the eighth floor in the bureau, right right in downtown Lansing. And uh, on nice days, he would look out the window and see who's walking on the street below. If he saw somebody that he recognized, he'd throw open the window. The windows would open. The sash would open. <laughs> And he'd yell. I, I mean, the one that I always remember most. There were others. Was was Senator Joe Schwartz was walking down down there, and he'd open the window and yell, "Schwartz for governor!" in this baritone, <laughs> stentorian voice. And it was just echo off the buildings downtown, you know, and everybody could hear it. And, and the, the poor soul at the bottom at the street would be looking around, like, "Where is this coming from?" And then he would duck back in and go back to work. Except Joe took the advice. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah, he did yeah. take the advice. Joe was one that did. Yeah. yeah. So. 
Uh, but he, he would he would just do things like that. Uh, he was very he was very playful, um, and and Hugh would get really enthusiastic about things and excited. And he wanted you to know he was enthusiastic about things. I remember one time he wanted to write an article. It was a Christmas time column he wanted to write. I think it was about John Engler, and he wanted to use a a Christmas Carol theme to it. Something to do with Scrooge. I don't even re- exactly remember what how the column ended, but he figured in order to do this, he he, he had never actually read the Christmas Carol, <laughs> uh, so he decided on the weekend to do that uh, by by Dickens, and and at Monday morning came in and just raved about what a great story that was. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fantastic. Maybe I mean, you know, the language on. and uh, and and uh, you know, listen to this for half the day about what a great story that the Christmas Carol was that we had all watched for many years. Actually. It uh, um, it got me to thinking. I've never actually read the story either, so I went and read it, and I can tell you, it's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't read Donald it, read Duck the book. is just great in it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I mean, he he would do things like that. He would, uh, I mean, he he would he would research things, and uh, and and he did have uh, a, a common touch. He did, he had ability to talk to just about anybody, and he was a good listener. Mm-hmm. That's why he was good at what he did, uh, and I, he would interview somebody, and and, and it would be, uh, he would be prodding somebody on an issue and trying to get and trying to get them to fess up to an answer, and he, and he would ask this question, you know, nine different ways, and and, and you know, it would be a legislator or or somebody would be evading him, and and you knew that the interview was over when Hugh just started laughing at him. Oh. <laughs> That's the worst. That was the end yeah. of it. <laughs> that's the worst I've had. And then that, that left the per- that, That's right. That person was left knowing they were going to end up in that column somewhere, and it wasn't going to be good. Right. Yeah. I'm curious. You know, he had Alzheimer's, so I'm not sure that the last time you had a, a conversation with him when he was necessarily aware of of the political landscape and the changes in journalism. But I'm, if you had had a conversation with him about those i guess i'd be curious to know what your thoughts or what he said or what you would speculate as to how he would look at first the change of of journalism and the media and two this crazy political climate that we are in the middle of well first of all i have to point his daughter at at his at the memorial service a few weeks ago his daughter margaret pointed out that that one of the blessings of, of Hughes getting Alzheimer's is he never realized that Donald Trump was president. <laughs> he, he was asked by, she pointed out that the doctor at, at one of his facilities asked him if he knew who the president was, and Hughes said, no, but I don't like him. So. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it, it would have been, in one sense, uh, just so much material for him, it would have been like drinking from a fire hose mm-hmm. for you in a, in a lot of ways. On the on the other hand, I think he would have been would have been uh, really really bothered and uh, saddened by what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I you know I I tell I've told this story. I once asked you early on when I came up here to Lansing, and and he'd already been here a while. I said, uh, Hugh, don't you ever get tired of politics? You know all the all the bickering and just outright lying and all the maneuvering and manipulation. And he said, no. He said, no, you, he says, you've got to have politics. If you don't have politics, you have chaos. 
So he saw politics with, with all of its all of its warts and foibles as as a necessary and a, and a good thing for human endeavor. That this is how we this is how we keep from killing ourselves as we have politics. We, we we work these things out in a public forum. Um, so I I think with this this severe uh, public divide and partisanship that we have, I, I think it really would have bothered him. Mm. But he would have dealt with it in. In joyous ways, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he was one of those guys that, uh, as so many of us that that uh, got into business, one of those guys who believed that if you gave people the facts, they could come to uh, a decision. And uh, and not that people weren't trying to massage and assuage you and spin things back then, but it was not uh, complete and total. And and uh, you you did not run into a situation where people have simply made up their minds and said I don't care what the facts are. Um, you had you did have people like that. Obviously, you always have had. But by and large, most people would, at some point, gr- grudgingly come to a realization that that what is being laid out is actually what is happening. And I think he would be very distressed. Um, not so much as as Chris said by by what's happening because to a certain degree it, politically because to a certain degree that's always happened um, throughout our history uh, I think he would be more distressed by how people are reacting to it all uh, the regular folks than what the politicians are doing and he'd wonder what had happened uh, to allow for that to happen that you wouldn't you you know the people just they have their news, what they believe to be their news sources that they trust implicitly, uh, even if they're out there not selling facts at all and, and, and have no interest in what the reality is uh, from, from anything. I mean, you know, as Chris said, he was, a, he was a, a fierce environmentalist. I mean, he'd be going out of his mind over the question of climate change, and he would be beyond belief that you have so many people that just say that. Yeah, that ain't happening. That's not real. Yeah, or or the the gutting of environmental protection. Oh yeah. Oh God. He, I on. mean, if 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 he were around with all that the the president is doing, um, I guarantee you there would be you know just no end of of screaming and yelling. And and then you get into as Chris pointed out the gun lobby. Um, you know, we did not have when he left uh, writing. We had just started to see some of the horrifying mass shootings starting to show up. You know. Uh, column mine had happened, and then he and then he retired. And and to have these things happen now on an almost weekly basis, he he would have been pulling out his hair, just trying to figure out why are people not paying attention to this? Yeah, he, why he, are people not doing something about this? He, he went after Ted Nugent in the gun lobby numerous oh, yeah. times, but oh, upon yeah. his retirement, Ted Nugent sent him a, an autographed picture (laughs) you know and it it was it was sort of a skewer back to a skewer but i mean it was it was meant in 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 good fun uh and that's the kind of uh that's the kind of environment that we were in there was there was one episode i there you know hugh and a senator from the u the up joe mack were were constant battlers one of joe joe mack was a, a promoter of development in the upper peninsula and uh and Hugh was uh, was uh, was again the the staunch environmentalist who actually apparently teamed up with environmental action groups at one time and and almost stopped but got a, a large development in the Upper Peninsula 
uh, downgraded, downsized to this, this from this massive development that they thought would be environmentally destructive to something something that they thought would be more manageable. And and Joe Mack was just just incensed by this. He actually went on the Senate floor and and railed about about how the environmentalists and that damned Hugh McDermott <laughs> had had in, infringed on on their right to invite to economic expansion. Uh, Hugh referred to Mac more than once as uh, Michigan's environmental scourge. I think that was the tug barge, if I remember correctly. Uh, there, was, there, was this, there was a huge development they wanted to build that would build Is that right? tug barges. And, um, and they, they got it down so that they could build a tug barge and see if it would actually do what everyone thought it would. It didn't. Um, so wherever the, whatever's left of the tug barges, but that was, uh, cause my wife worked with the AP at the time and she covered the environment. In fact, she was often competing with Hugh on stories and the AP sent her up to, <laughs> sent her up to whatever absolutely isolated little town this place was going to be, was built to, to cover this thing. And she, <laughs> she called me up, they had her in one of these old style motels, which were cabins, and and she said, there's something outside the cabin. And and I said, well, what does it sound like? He said, well, it's like scratching at the door. And I said, for Christ's sakes, don't open the door then. So, <laughs> and, you know, and it turned out there were bears wandering the, you know, yeah. wandering the campground. So. Well, for, for all of the invective between these two, I mean, and it, it was very public at times. I mean, it, it, uh, Joe Mack would come up to Hugh uh, after session and, see, and he'd say, "Stay healthy, my friend." Every time he criticized me, I pick up two thousand more votes. <laughs> um, but I, I, one episode has always stood in my mind all these years. I, we were in the bureau in uh, downtown Lansing, and I was I was literally standing next to Hugh, and someone came in suddenly and said, "Joe Mack's had a heart attack," and and Hugh just froze and his jaw dropped. He says, "What?" And and. It, he looked like I, I. My initial reaction was, "Oh boy, he's lost his favorite. He may lose his favorite punching bag, you know." But that's not what happened. He Hugh flew over to his telephone in his office and he started calling people and he wanted to know if Joe Mack was okay. He wanted to know that, that the guy was all right, and uh, and and I, I I always remember that as, as geez, they're really not, it's really not personal with him. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a different. I mean the. Uh, I, I always talk about the Tessio rule from the Godfather. It's, it's business, not personal, and mm-hmm. which is different now. It is personal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe you just answered my question, but I was curious if there's a an attribute of Hugh that you think is missing in journalism or journalists today, or or an attribute that you wished or you saw more of in people who are covering politics. Um, uh, well. Uh, he he did have the ability to be uh, a, a fair and objective. Now you know I'm one. I mean I was a journalist for 39 years before I left Daily Journals. I, I I've always argued that nobody is objective. We all bring our bring our our predispositions and our beliefs to our jobs. But you but you can be you can be fair and you can treat uh, a subject or a person objectively. And he was able to do that. Uh, he was diligent about doing that. I mean, that was one of his that was one of his cardinal rules. I think um, that you didn't let you didn't let your personal well. For, first of all, as a columnist, I should I should add that it's his job to get his personal views in in the newspaper. But in getting there, he it, it wasn't just 
off the top of his head. He would do he would do his homework and he would do his research and he would present the facts to you of why, you know, why he was making this point and then probably make you laugh or scream while he was doing it. But that's that's what he did best. Uh, and, and Chris pointed out that the basis of objectivity is fact and and maintaining a standard of, of using fact. Uh, you have to do it contextually. Um, one of the things I would like to see journalists, young journalists, uh, have more of these days is a greater overall sense of history and context because that was something that Hugh had. Uh, and by and large, and I don't know how, really don't know how, Kids are trained much these days, but at one time that was pretty much required. If you wanted to go into journalism, you had to, I mean, you had to know a lot. You had to know at least a little bit about a lot of stuff. And then you had to know how to find out more about a lot of stuff. And, uh, and it was something that you just had to do uh, on a regular basis. And it is becoming more and more difficult to do that, um, in part because you're enslaved now to um, social media. I mean, everyone wants to see something instantly, um, and then immediately make their own conclusion about it without saying, "Okay, what's the next tweet? What is the next thing going to tell me? Um, and and will that change in any way what the the previous tweet said?" Um, not just journalists, but I think people in a, as a whole have have lost that ability to think critically. And, yeah. and that's where we, you need to have it. Well, sometimes, like you've ri- you've written a story, you know, you it's it's done. You're ready to send it. Sometimes you've even sent it into the editor, but there are some you still might have questions about. It. And I I remember seeing Hugh do this, and and again, this is one of the lessons that that I learned. Sometimes you'll make just that last phone call. It's after deadline, but you still might feel you're still missing a piece there. I mean, in other words, there's still time to get something in the story because it's going through the editing process. This is in the old days when we actually had editors yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would edit stories and provide you with, uh, yeah, you know, with, you with direction. Yeah, right, right. right. Uh, and, and we tended to get things right because of the process. But, but you know, he would, would, he would make that last phone call. It might be, you know, 6.30 in the evening. Just to get try to get that one last piece of information for somebody you've been trying to get all day long, but they didn't return the phone call. Uh, I mean, it's that kind of those kinds of little things. Uh, I mean, you hear in baseball, you know, the 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 ball players, ball players did the little things right in baseball, and that's what Hugh did. So I want to wrap up with this last question um, at Hugh's memorial service. I saw a post. I think Zach actually posted a picture. Mm-hmm. Of a picture that was on an easel, yes, mm-hmm. there, and um, I was looking at it this morning, and he has. It, it, I'm not sure when it was taken. He, he looked fairly young in that. A I think it's when he left the paper in Dayton, yeah, Ohio, to come to like the free person. It was a going away. Uh, it was a going away uh, present. So he had he had just a devilish smile on his face, mm-hmm. and he was giving the camera the middle finger, mm-hmm. just just <laughs> like very proudly. Here, here you go, mm-hmm. smile and middle finger to the camera. I'm curious. I don't know if it, 
a colleague selected that, if the family selected that picture, but I'm curious, what about why was that picture the picture that <laughs> that was there? Well, the him? family picked it because uh, if, if you know, one of the one of the words you would use to describe he was irreverent, mm-hmm. and that, that that's how he was toward the political establishment. Even though he respected it and tried to, he was he was irreverent. He was profane sometimes. He was he he could be outrageous. <laughs> yeah, he was profane a lot. <laughs> but I want to I want to show you to share with you something because I, I brought with me the uh, the memorial card you know at a memorial service a funeral they hand out cards that have an inspirational message inside of them and it has a very nice picture of Hugh McDermott uh, in loving memory um, and here's what the uh, what here's what the inspirational message is it's a recipe for a martini <laughs> by Hugh McDermott can I read it to you yes please all right get out the cheap gin or vodka get out the vermouth Find a glass, clean or dirty, chill the glass. Take out ice cubes, place in the palm of your hand, and break them using the back of a spoon, making a huge mess. Put the ice in a chilled glass. Fill to the top with gin or vodka. Glance at the vermouth. (laughs) Add two large pimento-stuffed olives. Leave all the ingredients conveniently out on the counter for the next guy. That's our message from, from Hughes Service. There you go. That's, it was, and anybody who knew him knew that that picture and that, and that message were, were just, just perfect for Hugh. He was, it was sort of an attitude that you're all in on the joke. Everyone yes. understands, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we should all be, you know, we should all have something like that at our funeral, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> It's the way I'd want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to see if I have any comparable pictures, but but uh, but it was perfect. Uh, uh, you know, on top of that, so many of the people that attended the service, for instance, the people that I knew, knew and had experienced Hugh's generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was really good. He liked working with young reporters. Uh, he was he was he was instructive and helpful without being preachy or or seeming like he was teaching a lesson. He taught by example, really. Mm-hmm. You know, invited invited us people and their families up to his, his uh, home cottage on Torch Lake. That was common. Uh, he was he was not only a colleague, but he was a friend to a lot of people. Well, Chris Kristoff, uh, formerly of the Detroit Free Press, and John Lindstrom, uh, soon to be formerly of Gong Word News mm-hmm. Service. I uh, thank you both for taking some time today to talk about uh, your colleague and friend and teaching us a little bit about... Uh, Hugh McDermott. Thank you. See you in Elysium, the original. It's a vision of my sun and moon. I lost you when I'm coming home. We are pretty in the picture. Are we all there looking at the camera under one roof? I lost you when I'm coming home. So that was Western and Maori's latest uh, song. Uh, just came out last Friday. Um, it's called Here We Are Today. Um, Brian put that out, and I listened to it and thought, you know, we haven't had Brian and Pete on in a while. Uh, for those who haven't listened in a while or maybe don't know the backstory, Brian and Pete are a, a folk g- group, I guess you would call them folk, um, here in Lansing. And when we started this podcast, 
oh almost three years ago now we could not we could not find music appropriate music nikki what are you doing with your eyes can I? I don't know. <laughs> My eyelashes were stuck, so that's probably what I was like. Wow, you looked really, really into what I was saying. Your I'm eyeballs were exploding. Open my eyes up. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Brian and Pete <laughs> helped us out with some music. Um, they are the they are the background music to our theme song, uh, the catchy little tune at the beginning of the of the podcast. And for a number of episodes, we've used some of their some of their music, and so. Uh, they put this song out on Friday, and it's a good one. So check it out. It's on iTunes, other places, Spotify. You can buy it and uh, share it. It's a good song. So there you have it. So, Nick, we just got done talking to John and to Chris. Yeah. And your exit question from that interview was? Why well, I, I was the lasting image of all of the coverage of um, Mr. McDermott's death was the photo that was used at, at his funeral. Um, of him, you know, flipping the bird to the to the viewer, and it just it begged the question in my mind: if anyone else had a photo that they anticipated being used at their own funerals, anyone in the room, or a photo maybe that they hope wouldn't be used. Um, and I, I joke, only half joking. Joe has a classic picture already on the wall in his office of himself. He's, he's the only he's person just warming up. He's got the picture right. He's here the right only before. person in the office who has a picture of himself on his own wall in the office. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> thing on his wall. Right. The only thing. All the things I care about. Not a narcissist. Not at all. That's very telling. That was interesting. So, so we may see that one. You know, although it's fifty years from now, it's not on a wall where he can see it. It's like an. It's just for all of us that walk by. It's facing me. So I can gaze over and see that lovely photo of Joe anytime I want. I'd be happy with that being prominently displayed. I could think of that one or uh, a few from some of my Christmas card shoots that would be uh, that would be good. As long as it's not serious, that would be that would be uh, all I ask. Something that is a joke. Have you done the Christmas card picture yet? Yep. Yep. Is, yeah. that, is that all you're going to say about that? <laughs> I got them today. Oh, oh are they? In no, the, you can't see them. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll it see it in your mailbox. So Joe, yeah. so give us some. Joe does pictures. I, I think you can call them pictures. Yeah, or, they're pictures. They're, <laughs> I don't know. What they're weird. It? They're it's Joe and his brother Bobby. <coughs> and who are the other two dudes? You our two, suck in our two buddies, uh, and we do a Christmas card. Uh, this will be the fourth year we've done it, and. Uh, yeah, it's really stupid, and we but we put a lot of thought and effort and money into it. It's it's dumb. It's it's a big waste of time, but we have fun doing it. And uh, its its main goal, I think, is to try to make the person who receives the card as uncomfortable as possible <laughs> as they open the envelope. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's yeah. fair. And we send it to a whole bunch of people. Uh, we actually the. My favorite person on my list of people that we sent it to is a guy Bobby and I call Florida Brian. And he is just a guy we met at a Bruce Springsteen concert in Tampa, Florida. And that was that was it. Like we hung out with him like before the show and just became friends with him and now he sends us Christmas card and <laughs> and he gets ours and they keep them. And uh, yeah, it's really weird. How wow. did the, how did the exchange of addresses go with Florida uh, Brian? Did you like get it at the time, or do you think you know what? We I should think send we him a probably card. became like Facebook friends there, like maybe in the moment. And then I was like, you know, Florida Brian would probably really like this, so I messaged him and got his address, and of course he did. So last year's card made my children uncomfortable. 
<laughs> we just we sure display our. I'm not sure it's appropriate for children. We just, it wasn't it? It was really creepy. It was like comb overs or something. No, it was the bowl. Oh, cut. it was denim. It was denim. Oh, denim. Yeah, denim. It was denim. Yeah, but your hair was weird. Yeah. Wasn't there one when you were all in pajamas? Onesies. One or they were not onesies. Uh, rompers. Rompers. Yeah. Yeah. I have to see these. I can bring you. You were I on the list last year, right? Card. You just started, so you didn't no, get a Christmas I didn't card get last, it year. last year. That would have been really interesting if I hadn't known Joe yet, and to start out with that. That was probably the best one to date. I think after a first glance at this year's pictures, I think this will be our best card. I'm very excited. I <laughs> there's still some work that needs to be done. Well, you know, we've uh, been looking for art for our new kitchen here in the in the office. Oh God! And you know, we no. have we, no, no. We, we have for people uh, who haven't no. visited yet. Veto, we, veto. We, we hang our Christmas our rest strategies Christmas cards on the walls of the hallway, but we've got a big empty wall there in the kitchen room. I will bring no. anything. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be an, a unique idea though if we all had <laughs> one row? On a wall, and it was all of Steph's cards each year that you sent, and you do a big production, of, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the yeah, newsletter. Yeah, your newsletter. And then below that is a whole line of of Nikki's, and a whole line of Laura's, and a whole line of mine. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. No, I, we would each just bring in our Christmas card each year, whatever it might be, and we could display those prominently. And then there, in the the place of honor, there was Joe's. See, I think where that would, I think, granted, I guess the rest ready's card could sub in for mine, but Brenda and I one year. The boys were, I don't know, five and, no, they were maybe six and two, six and three. And we hired a photographer to come do those do those pictures in the backyard where you put on the vests and you throw leaves up in the air and you sit in a wagon and everyone looks very cute. And so we got them printed off uh, to send off as our Christmas card. And the box sat on our kitchen counter, I think, for 18 months. Mm. We missed the Christmas that we bought them for. And then we had a conversation the following year. You think we could just send these for the next Christmas? We don't look all that different. And then we just never sent them. They're beautiful cards. <laughs> so maybe I have a hundred and co- I have about 150 copies of that. You still okay, could, we could bring that. I'm sure they're somewhere. That's awesome. They're really good pickers. Why pictures. didn't you ever send it? It just got to be. It's who's a lot gonna, of work to who's send gonna them. Gonna well, them. all. Yeah. Who's going to go track down who's moved? Keep track of the moves. And then it became okay. We could do them for New Year's. I'm like, eh, well, mm. no, New Year's is over. The other thing I'll say about my card, and I think Nikki sort of gives me a. a you really like to, to talk, talk about, about now that we got well, this, now that we got you going. You're all ready to go. About your one of my favorite things about it is I think of you know the hundred or so people we send it to. I think there are people who like really love it and look forward to it and are like excited about it, and then there are people who really hate it and, and just want to be off the list and are like, "What's wrong with you?" And you're in that camp. I feel like Brenda's yeah, in that yeah. camp. <laughs> there there are definitely people. It. That hate it, which makes it more fun for me. I'm going to keep a special place on the refrigerator for Perfect. it. Perfect. You, you <laughs> no. think that. Last year you I was think. like weird and I threw it away. <laughs> you should keep a list of those people and, and send them two, you know, like a couple. Well, you do a whole shoot, so there have got to be multiple options. Do you go to Sears? We, go to, we, <laughs> we have gone to JCPenney. Oh, but this year was like we hired a photographer and we were like it was... Multiple locations. How do you go about finding a photographer oh to come and do this? And has anyone like wa- run away? Yeah, <laughs> Bobby is kind of the guy who takes care of most of it. He's the he's the he did all the planning this year. You're the creative genius, and he's the logistics. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, we're we do most of the work. Uh, but Bobby did all the legwork on finding the photographer, and it was some like a friend of a friend somehow. Uh, but. 
yeah, it's been pennies in the in the past, and it just I think we've kind of got everything we could out of that, so we needed to we needed to step it up a little bit. But so when is the when's the anticipated delivery date? When should people be looking for their mailboxes? Well, I don't know because like there's a really important there's a Photoshop element that needs to happen in this year's card. And, oh, I can do that for you. Well, I don't want you to do it because I want you to get the card. Oh, like, I, I already found him somebody, and I've got so a couple. I've got a couple people like that. I think have kind of come forward to be the Photoshop person, but I have to like get them the stuff and uh, see what they see what they can do. So I don't know. I'm hoping we're, we're going to, we're going to all hang out probably later in the week to select the photos. And I think the other pieces, yeah, there's probably like, I don't know, 50 pictures from this year and some of them are so good. So I think, and there's a, you should do a calendar. Well, I think, I think what might happen is there's going to be a card and then there may be an email with a little like, full photo gallery that comes days later i'm not really sure i've ever seen you put so much effort into something probably not yeah Yeah. that's true (laughs) probably not i have an idea Uh um for anyone listening who would like to receive joe's card oh at cold oatmeal pod Mm -hmm. tweet follow the podcast tweet the podcast we will get you on joe's mailing list and if you need a little extra Christmas bonus to pay for extra cards because of the, <laughs> the, the the onslaught of requests that will be coming our way, we can hook you up with that. Okay. But yes, go to the... Really? At, yes. <laughs> I'll make a better <laughs> card. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, better card I mean, it's not going to be a big one. It's not going to be a big one. <clears throat> so yeah, at Cold Oatmeal Pod for Joe's uh, and Bobby's... What are your buddies' names? Cole and uh, Mike. Cole and Mike. Don't be. Don't let Florida Brian be the only one, the only <laughs> random person. To receive I would. This, I would love this to, holiday I would cheer. love to send it to more people that are just barely in my life. So that, okay, people, you're, all of you, you listeners, that you all fit that category. <laughs> Sign up at Cold Oatmeal Pod to get Joe's Christmas card. So, uh, great conversation with John and Chris. A little history lesson learned. I learned a lot. It was good. Me too. And uh, to Brian and Pete, the, their new song is out on iTunes and Spotify and other places. Make sure you find that and uh, download that. And for Laura, Stephanie, Nikki, Nick, and Joe, this is Matt Resch. You've been listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Staring at the new cross down the old road Thinking of the time lost Chasing the truth I lost you and I'm coming home we are Maybe you will answer With a question Maybe it's the one thing I've left to say